The gospel lesson is taken from Luke's gospel, chapter 7, and I will be reading verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Hear the gospel of Christ. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority and with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The word of the Lord. You may not uh, have kept track, but I have. It's my job to keep track of what I preach. <laughs> and that is, um, I have been preaching a series of sermons, whether you know it or not, but not based upon any particular uh, text in the Bible as such, or, or working through a book like a continuing lectionary. I do that at times. But since Monday, Thursday, I have, uh, Palm Sunday, I have been preaching uh, on the great themes of the Scripture. Palm Sunday, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Monday, Thursday, His commandment to love one another. Good Friday, His resurrection. And then I preached a sermon, of course, on Easter, on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then... Forty days later, I, on, on the calendar that Jesus was using, uh, I preached the next Sunday on the ascension of Jesus into heaven at the right hand of the Father to assume power. I also preached on Pentecost, on Pentecost Sunday. And last week, I preached on the Trinity. Now, all of that forms the heart of the New Testament, and really what it comes down to is that it is the gospel. It is the heart of the gospel. And so today I'm preaching from Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 10, or 12. And really Paul is talking about the gospel. What is it? It seems that the gospel can be lost or People confuse, can get confused about what the gospel is. You may think you're quite versed in the gospel, but very subtly sometimes we let things creep in that really are not the gospel and become confused about what 
the basis for our salvation is. Now, we've had a lot of preaching already here today. We had preaching at the fount. You know, the sacrament of baptism is a preaching. It's a visible word. That's why it's called a sacrament. Communion that follows this is a visible word, according to Augustine. It reenacts the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and offers the benefits from that death to your faith in Christ. And uh, we now have the word. All of this is a presentation of that central message in word and sacrament. So I'm going to cut this as short as I can. It's hard for me, as you well know. You know, I should take my friend Rick Tyson's advice. He says, I've cut many a bad sermon. Uh, I've saved many a bad sermon by cutting it short. I have not learned that lesson too much. I tend to be prolix, but nonetheless, follow me today, and I'll try to be as brief and as succinct as I can. And what I want you to see when you come to Galatians chapter 2 is very simply this. The gospel finds its origin in the triune God. There is no Christianity without the triune God. One God, not many, not three, one God who subsists in three persons and has revealed himself in three persons. The gospel finds its origin then in the triune God and it focuses specifically upon Jesus Christ and his earthly life as he went to the cross and died for us and was raised for us. Moreover, the gospel requires us to receive it and to cherish it and, yes, even defend it. And so you can't defend, really, or cherish what you do not know. And so in this sermon, I really want you to see what the gospel is in contrast to what it is not. It's very easy to get confused And include things in the gospel which are not. We have the gospel of feminism today. We have the gospel of liberation. We have the gospel of economic prosperity. We have all kinds of gospels. But if Paul is right, and of course this church stakes its very life on this, all of those things are not gospels. Nothing from the human side can contribute to the gospel. And so watch as Paul unfolds his message here. But he is somewhat in a pickle, if you will. He is a missionary, but some missionaries are going around and circumventing him, a bunch of them. And they're going around and discrediting Paul's ministry. They're saying, first of all, he's delusional. Remember, he had some of those seizures back there. Maybe that was his thorn in the flesh. And also remember that he didn't get the sanction, that proper sanction from Jerusalem. And uh, he didn't get uh, the other apostles sanctioned. So therefore, you know, he's kind of a lone ranger out in left field. Furthermore, he's watered down the gospel. He's, He's lowered the bar so low that just about anybody can respond to the gospel. So these missionaries opposed Paul. They opposed him and his commission as an apostle. They were called Judaizers. And they were Jewish Christians who believed that Paul was not preaching the gospel in its fullest sense. What they said was that in order for you to become a true Christian, you must convert to cultural Judaism. Have your kids circumcised. 
Have them follow the dietary laws. Have them to do those things. And then believe in Jesus and you will be saved. That is the gospel. That's the fullness of the gospel. Now, people naturally love strictness. Believe it or not, religious people sometimes prefer strictness to their true freedom. And Paul is combating that tendency in the human mind. I think that's why some cults prosper in the modern world is because people somewhere along the line want to be controlled. And we see it over and over and over. And they taught then that Paul was preaching some kind of cheap grace. He was just simply a permissive apostle who let anything go. Well, that's not the case. Paul just simply understood the gospel and had received it. And he clearly states in this passage, the problem is not mine, but yours. Now, isn't that dogmatic? Well, it is. There are places for dogmatism. If you get the emphasis on the right syllable, you can be dogmatic. What I want to preach to you then, he says, is, and Paul does, few things. First of all, look at verses 11 through 12 if you want to follow. And since I have to cut to the chase and not follow every nuance in the text, and I don't anyway usually, but uh, let's, let's cut to the chase. Paul says, what I received, I did not make up. Now, that's important. I didn't make anything up. They accused him of making things up. He was just simply a dreamer speaking out of his own heart and life and mind. Paul says, no, 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 I did not make it up. Moreover, I want you to know that the gospel, that is the true gospel that I preach, I received it from no one. Now, that's a sticky wicket there in a sense because Paul did receive some things. Like the Lord's Supper, he says, what I have received, I've passed on to you. And no doubt he conferred with, the, with Peter and the other apostles in Jerusalem, and he saw that he was on the same page, but he didn't really receive that gospel from them, from no one, but by divine revelation. He says, I've received it by divine revelation. Look at how he puts it. Am I now trying to win approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? No, he said, if I would, I would go along with you. But here's what I'm doing. He's saying in verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from God. Now, here's the first point I want you to see under this idea of what is the gospel. It has its source and base, basis in the triune God and focuses on Christ. And what you, I want you to see is that the gospel in real sense is otherworldly. It does not come from anything on this side. You can't put into it economics or politics. You can't put yourself into it. It doesn't borrow from anything from the human side. The whole world lies lost in sin, the apostle would say. He's already said that in Romans 1 and in Galatians later. The whole world cannot contribute because everything in this world is defective. As a matter of fact, it needs something from the other world. And what did God do? For God so loved the world that he sent his son his one and only son. This is the focus of the gospel. If you really want to know what the gospel is, 
It is the person of Jesus Christ, and it is what he did for us. Not what we can do. Not what my hand says to him, have I done. It is what the Lord has done for me. So the gospel, in a real sense, is otherworldly, and it is based upon the work of Jesus Christ. Who he is, is all important. And what he did is all important. Christ, he says, in this passage of Scripture, I want you to notice how he starts. Now, this is one of the very few letters, if not the only one, where Paul doesn't commend his readers right away. He doesn't. He's upset with them. He's so upset that he just jumps in with all fours. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, look at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. So the gospel holy comes from another world, based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is that simple. And if you confuse the human side with the divine side, you then have another gospel. Let me go to the next point very simply and very quickly. Therefore, or as the scripture was used many times when it comes to a place, I've said some things. Therefore, what have we received? And what we have received, we must cherish in a real sense and protect. If the gospel comes from heaven and it is received by human beings, it must be cherished and protected. Now, Paul spends a lot of time in this passage doing that, doesn't he? He seems defensive on the face of it. Well, no, you're not defensive if you protect your children and you love them. Isn't that right? You're counted a good mother or a good father if you guide and protect your children. You would be a bad mother and a bad father if you didn't. So sometimes the world may say we're defensive over something when in fact we have an absolutely legitimate reason for doing what we do. And in a real sense, the church must protect the gospel. We have received it. God then has, has indeed committed unto others the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I pass this on to you to cherish and to protect. Now, how do you see cherish, uh, that he cherishes this in here? There's a little subtlety here in the text that you should not let slip by. Paul is prone to break out into a doxology in praise to God without even making a transition. And I need to read verses 3 through 5 to show you. He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Then he says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He breaks out into a praise doxology. Paul is saying that that's what the only response is to the gospel, is to cherish to praise God for what he has given to us. It is a doxology of thanksgiving. And then he goes on to protect this message in its purity. And his language gets very blunt and very tough. Look at verses eight and verses nine, verse 8 and verse 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. My uh, sister and my father, I took a quick trip to West Virginia Thursday and Friday to 
to uh, celebrate with my siblings my father's 97th birthday. And um, we have to pray two or three times a day and read the Bible. That's just his custom. Morning, noon, and night. He has morning, noon, and night prayer. So he always makes us come around. That's all I've ever known in my life, even when I wasn't a Christian. The Bible and prayer. And so he said, well, what are you preaching on Sunday? You are preaching, aren't you? I said, yes. <laughs> I'm going to try. Twice. Well, he says, well, what are you doing down here then? You ought to be up there preparing. I said, well, I've been at it a while. I'll give it a shot. So, what are you preaching on? And I told him about this text. And that's what we read for our evening devotion. This text. And I want you to notice what the apostle says here. And his language is blunt. And I told my father, this is one place in the Bible where Paul legitimately cusses. And his ears went back like this. The apostle Paul didn't cuss, did he? I said, well... He says, let them be anathema or God damn them if they preach another gospel. Now, that's true to fact, isn't it? Paul is absolutely adamant in defending this. He doesn't give you any ground. He is saying that it's either yes or no, heaven or hell. Everything depends on it. Look what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Now, I hate to do this. You don't like to show your exegesis in public. That's a bad thing to do. But this is a special if here, condition. And it's in the subjunctive. What does it mean? It means that he's talking about if anyone in the future does this. I don't care who he is from heaven or hell. If he comes and preaches something different than this, let him be anathema. Now you think in verse 9 that he repeats himself, but it's not so in Greek. He goes on to say in verse 9, and as we have already said, now you think he's repeating himself in English, but in Greek it changes. So now I say again, if anybody, the if is different, and in this case he speaks a simple indicative sentence. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And what he means, if anybody in the present is doing it, let him be condemned. Present or future. Strong language. It's about as strong as you get in the Bible. And so, therefore, the gospel must be cherished and defended. Now, the church has an obligation then to be clear as to what the gospel is. We must protect and defend it. It is the only gospel there is. And that's my third point. There is no gospel but the gospel of Christ. Look at verses 6 and 7. I am astonished that you so quickly desert, deserting the one who called you by his grace. And you are turning to heterodoxy or a different gospel. And then he goes on to say there is no other gospel. So look, there's one gospel. Its origin is the triune God based upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, Paul is very clear. They can accuse me of preaching grace all they want. 
But in that charge, you see the love and grace, the overflowing love and grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, the gospel is the gospel. Now, he does something interesting about himself, too. If you look at the end of the passage, he says this. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached in Greek, it's the gospel I gospeled. Why, why, why that phrase? He's really saying, I'm just an instrument of this. I don't add anything to it. I don't add anything to it. The preacher must never add anything to the gospel. The witness must never add anything to the gospel. It is what it is. It's good news for those who need good news. You can't fulfill the requirements of the law. You sin over and over again, even in your own life, if you understand what sin is. You always need to hear fresh and new the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God receives you. Not what you can do for him, but because of who he is. And this is the gospel that Paul said that he preached. Now, this gospel is to be received. And I have to shorten this very quickly. To be received by you and me. It's to be received through faith. And it requires obedience. But the obedience is not to be saved, but because you are. God loves you. And he says, love me back. God gives you something. Serve me in return. The good news of the gospel is free. No price you can pay. The only thing you can do is to receive it. You see, the gospel is always the gospel. I heard something funny, and this is going to sound sexist. And maybe it is. It's a joke, but I can't resist it. If a man speaks his mind in a forest and no woman hears it, is he still wrong? <laughs> now you could do that with the men too. Whether you've heard the gospel or have not heard the gospel, its truth does not depend upon any human being. It's just what God is. It's just what God is. And his seeking and searching love has reached out in history in the body of a person and brought you to himself through the power of his spirit. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, you have believed that because he has indeed come to you and opened up your heart and through the power of the Spirit, flooded your heart with his love. And you've been able to behold your interest in Christ Jesus and to see clearly that as he lives, so do you. His destiny is your destiny. And that is good news. Praise be to God. Amen.